and welcome to our special coronavirus episode of Digital Health Unplugged. There have been countless updates coming through from the NHS and suppliers on the current coronavirus situation and we're getting thousands of views on our stories we're publishing. So alongside our live blog and the latest updates, we thought we would bring you a special edition of the podcast to talk through the biggest stories we've reported so far, how suppliers have responded to the outbreak and what central NHS is doing to cope with the situation. Joining me on the podcast are Hannah Crouch, Digital Health Editor. Hi, everyone. And Owen Hughes, Senior Reporter for Digital Health. Hello. So how is social isolating and working home from home going for everyone so far? Yeah, it's going good. Obviously, I think we're on, was it day nine or ten now? We've been working from home. Um, very strange, strange to get used to. And kind of with all the government lockdowns in place, it's it's strange not being able to go outside as much as you'd like. But um, I would definitely say make sure you get out while you can, do some exercise and just try and, you know, for your mental health well-being as well, because it is it's quite a stressful time for everyone. Yeah, no, I think the same. I think it's important to keep a routine as well. So I found sort of getting out of bed, doing some exercise as I would usually, um, having breakfast, making sure I get out of my pyjamas before I sit down at my desk. It's quite important because otherwise you're in that kind of constant mind state of half between work, half between being at home. And I think it's that like outside of work kind of a leisure time that's you've got to you got to fill up with you know keeping yourself mentally stimulated I guess yeah I was gonna say this week I'm making a conscious effort not to work in my pajamas and I'm actually having a morning um before I start work whereas a lot of the time last week I was just getting up and sitting at my computer and I realized that wasn't particularly good for me so I was going a little bit mental so it's nice to actually yeah, get outside yeah. in the garden and just have a cup of coffee before I start work because it just feels like I'm not stuck at a desk all day So as you may have all heard in our usual news team debrief this week, digital technology is playing a huge role in the current coronavirus outbreak. There is so much going on in the space at the moment, it's so hard to keep up. We've been running a live blog on the situation for the last two weeks to keep our readers updated on the latest news, and that's alongside our usual stories. The general gist is that clinicians and other healthcare professionals are being advised to go digital wherever possible, particularly in primary care, because that reduces face-to-face appointments um, and therefore the spread of the virus. There's also been a renewed focus on the use of video and telephone consults, uh, as well as online triage. Special tenders have been issued for digital primary care suppliers to provide technology as soon as possible. And NHS England has said that it's going to be uh, fast tracking digital tools um, as it ramps up its response to the virus. So there's quite a lot going on in the space. The story that's gained the most attention on our site so far was the news that people suspected of having coronavirus will be able to have a sick note issued digitally through NHS 111. NHSX and NHS Digital are currently working on it, um, but haven't said when it will be available to people. What we do know is people can access it through the NHS website and NHS 111 online, and it will be emailed uh, either to them or to a trusted family member or friend if they uh, don't have email themselves or an employer if that's the way they want it to go. So it's hoped this will stop people from who have symptoms from visiting their GP to prevent the spread of the virus, um, which is probably why it's done so well. Hannah, what have the stats been like on this story for us? So, yeah, as you said, the story has gathered a lot of attention um, on our news site. It's currently standing at more than 70,000 views, which is something that I haven't seen um, since I joined Digital Health a few years ago. So it's really kind of captured the attention of people. And I, for me, I think it's because it's something that people are concerned about. A lot of people are now being told to self-isolate if someone in their household gets symptoms. So, you know, people are concerned. Um, they need sick notes for their employers. Um, 
and you know in order to get paid uh which you know is a big thing for a lot of people and um, so i think that's why it's really sort of captured the attention um of readers and why so many people have been directed to the site another reason i think is because we were one of the only outlets reporting on it at the time i think we published it over a week ago and only on friday uh, nhs digital published a release with some more information um, because we were overwhelmed, we've been overwhelmed with people wanting to access the sick notes, and you know a lot of people just need the information. So um, NHS Digital said that the the notes now can be accessed through the NHS website and NHS One 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 online. And after answering a few questions, they will then be emailed uh, an isolation note. And if they don't have an email address, they can then send the note to a trusted family or friend or directly to their employer. So it's really kind of streamlined the process. Um, and hopefully this kind of information will give people that reassurance that they can get their, their sick notes digitally. And um, because I think before it was kind of the story that we'd done previously, that it was in the process of being developed. But this has now been developed. So hopefully um, that will give people the reassurance that they need at quite a obviously very confusing and anxious time for everyone. Yeah, I think just the sheer amount of people that are reading it shows just how worried everyone is and how much pressure the NHS is under to make sure that everyone is well looked after um, in the situation. Um, it's interesting as well that they said they were working with the Department of Work and Pensions um, so that obviously employers can stay updated because that, you know, I think a lot of people are very stressed about the fact that if they don't go to work, they won't have a job. Um, and that was probably half the reason why self-isolation wasn't working so well to start with. So it's nice that there's, it's quite obvious that there's some communication going on across departments where there needs to be. Yeah, I think, um, like you said, it's it's a really confusing time for everyone and information is constantly changing. So I think the, the government and the NHS are doing what they can to update people as much as they can. But I think these things are going to be constantly uh, progressing and changing, you know, hourly, daily, weekly. So, you know, it's good to see that the NHS is sort of keeping up. You know, they they sometimes say a lot of things, you know, this is coming very soon, but this has been introduced quite quickly which I think is a, is a good sign that the NHS is working hard to ensure that people can get access to the tools that they need um, to kind of live through this, uh, this outbreak. So something else that this story has uh, highlighted to us is just the sheer pressure that NHS 111 is under to just answer everyone who is using the service. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, NHS England revealed that more than a million people had accessed a dedicated 111 online support service for coronavirus, um, and that was within a week of it launching. Um, so we can only assume that since then that number has increased dramatically. Speaking at Digital Health Rewired at the beginning of March, NHS Digital's chief executive, Sarah, Wil uh, Sarah Wilkinson, said the NHS is facing a fundamental new demand and would have to adapt really quickly to changing clinical protocols, which I think the sick notes thing, you know, shows that they have. Um, Hannah, you watched her speech at Rewired. What is NHS Digital doing to prepare the health service for this situation? So, yes, she did. She was at Rewired, um, as you mentioned, Andrea. I think she did a sort of last minute change to her presentation in sort of keeping with coronavirus. Um, so she spoke um, um, and she outlined how sort of key, key triage systems such as things as such as NHS Pathways and 111 Online are supporting the NHS um, in response to what she called a time of unprecedented citizen interaction with digital health channels, which is definitely what we're seeing now. A lot more people are accessing NHS digitally. Um, so she was sort of outlining how the NHS is keeping up with that. So she told the audience that the NHS is facing um, a fundamental new and demand uh, profile. So, you know, the NHS is changing um, as this kind of outbreak spreads. 
which is and this kind of new change and and demand is having an impact on how health and care systems are delivered and you know there are changes um, including for new ways of working and the need to quickly adapt uh, evolving clinical protocols which kind of really highlights what I sort of mentioned before everything is changing so quickly and people are having to keep up with it and her speech um, went into some detail about what the work they're doing um, and especially what NHS Digital is doing to help support these challenges which are posed by COVID-19. So this included rapid changes to clinical algorithms in the pathway system, uh, enabling as many people as possible to access 111 triage processes digitally via 111 online, which we saw when they launched a special uh, coronavirus NHS 111 online um, section and through the NHS app as well. They've been updating the NHS app, um, things like nhs.uk, with all the latest information and advice that people can get access to. And also, they also wanted to collect data on COVID-19 readiness, which is something um, I think we reported on a bit later when new powers were given to NHS Digital to allow them to have more access to the data and, you know, so they can start maybe collecting some data and, you know, just giving us a bit more information about this virus that not many people know about. So it is clear that the NHS is working around the clock to make sure the technology is up to date. And it was really interesting to hear from Sarah and many of the frontline people. There's so many tweets out there, pictures of these technology teams working day and night to ensure that teams are ready and they're prepared as much as they can be. Yeah, it's really interesting um, to, to watch, actually, when we're not writing about it all the time. Um, the new powers that NHS Digital were given as well. Um, so that's, from what I understand, is to, first of all, help doctors and clinicians understand the virus a bit better and also track the virus so that we know sort of where it's going and better understand it. Um, but don't, like NHS Digital already um, collect data like this anyway. So what's the difference between how they're collecting usually and what they're doing now? Sorry, Hannah, that was I think a, there's a probably... careful question. <laughs> no, it's OK. I think um, what they have to collect now is maybe they're looking at, I think there's a lot more. The whole thing I think now that they've um, sort of introducing now is this whole idea of contact tracing and, you know, knowing where this virus is and where it's spreading and where are these sort of hotspots. We've seen recently, obviously, London is a massive hotspot. It's got the most cases throughout the country. But then you also have cases such as uh, it's the West Midlands. And there's these little pockets and Cornwall as well, sorry, um, where there's these little pockets of infection rates which are increasing uh, uh, exponentially. So I think I think by them having access to this data and extending their powers slightly so they may not have to go through certain avenues to get access to it, it can help us understand a bit more how this virus behaves because again like I think everyone's been saying it no one knows entirely what this virus is and you know its behavior patterns so I think this access to data can really help us map out what it looks like and how it's affecting the whole country yeah I wonder if this is going to change our relationship with how we use data Um, because obviously there is some nerves around how we use patient data and how you know we collate data I wonder if this is going to change the way we work in the future so that maybe people who are a little bit nervous about you know sharing data before might feel a bit differently when they realize how much of a difference it's made in an outbreak like this um so I think we mentioned it in some previous podcasts um about yes there is this need to uh digitally um, accelerate these digital tools sorry um, very quickly 
But when it comes to things like data, I think, yes, we have to maybe speed things up, but there has to be this um, information governance uh, in place to make sure that, you know, in future, these sort of tools and things like that cannot be exploited. There's something else that we've noticed quite a lot of is that um, people can't seem to access 111 when they want to, and it's causing quite a bit of frustration, um, which, again, I think shows the enormous pressure that the NHS is under. Um, because we've, we've just never seen anything like this before. Um, do you think that this is going to end up changing the way the system operates so that we're better prepared if there is a next time? Which hopefully there isn't, but if there is. Yeah, I, I think I think it will. I think a lot of it will be around kind of digital, uh, I guess, enablement and empowerment. So making sure that people who maybe don't use technology as much um, know how to access access services they need through a smartphone or through a computer. So um, as as you both said before, we're having a lot of comments on our coronavirus stories, um, but this one in particular, so the NHS 111 online and also the sick notes um, from people who think they might have symptoms or want to know whether they should, you know, take their kids to see their GP, whether they should self-isolate. Um, and I think what it really highlights is that there's still a lot of confusion about where to access support. Um, particularly as the government, you know, keeps coming up with new guidance and there's mixed and conflicting information people are getting online, perhaps not always from legitimate sources. And we found our, we found ourselves in a very odd position of having to kind of put mini disclaimers on a lot of our stories, telling people who generally aren't our regular readers, to be fair, that, um, you know, we, we just can't offer official guidance on coronavirus and just trying to signpost them to official advice to the NHS. So, yeah, I think it just really highlights how off guard everyone has been caught with this and also the need to really make sure people know how they can get the the guidance they need from the NHS through their smartphone, through a computer, um, particularly the, the most vulnerable groups. Yeah, it's amazing how many comments we're getting on stories, basically saying, I have symptoms, what do I do? And people just don't know where to get this advice from. And even today, um, I was looking at the government's advice following... Mm the announcement of a lockdown because um, I've been on quarantine for a week halfway through and um, I was just wondering if any of the advice on quarantine had changed and I couldn't find it like it's just the, it's gone from the website where I was looking at it before where it would yeah. say if you have symptoms and you live alone stay home for seven days if anyone in the household has symptoms stay home for 14 days um, that was completely gone yeah. and I just want to know if I can go buy eggs yeah that's all that's all I want <laughs> it is yeah it is really confusing, really confusing and it does seem to change on a daily basis yeah yes there has been a lot of people commenting on stories asking for sick notes or whether they should be isolating so as editor I just want to say a quick disclaimer digital health is not the NHS we report on it a lot but we are not officially we're not affiliated with them and um, we cannot provide medical advice and those that sh- um those with questions should contact NHS 111 online sorry, or visit nhs.uk for all the latest information because you will get a lot more help and guidance there. So something that this has really clearly taught us is that communication is key within the NHS. Um, and last week, Microsoft Teams was rolled out across the entire NHS to support remote working. All users of NHS Mail in England and Scotland um, were na- have now been given access um, to help them communicate better while we deal with coronavirus. Oh, and you picked up on this story for us. What do we need to know about it? Yeah, so like you said, this is an NHS-wide agreement for Microsoft Teams, which most of our listeners will already know is uh, Microsoft's workplace collaboration software. 
where you you can you know send each other messages, uh, make calls, share and edit documents, and so on, so 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 on and so forth. Um, essentially, the point of this rolling out is to make it easier for doctors and nurses and other NHS staff who are working remotely or from home to still be able to work together as you know coronavirus makes uh, face-to-face communication more difficult. Um, from what I understand, uh, Teams is being offered to NHS mail organisations for three months initially through a restricted licence for Windows 10 Enterprise E3. So that also includes access to Office 365. Um, non NHS mail organizations um, have to apply for Microsoft, sorry, apply to Microsoft for free um, for an E1 license, which lasts for six months. Again, from what I understand, um, because of the uncertainty of this situation, uh, the NHS and Microsoft are assessing the terms on a sort of rolling basis um, just to make sure all staff have access to collaboration tools while all this goes on. But importantly, once the trial license does expire, uh, non-NHS mail organisations will need to pay for the licences themselves if they want to carry on using those Windows 10 applications. On the topic of communication, I think the NHS is doing some really good stuff um, to make sure that everyone can stay in contact um, while this outbreak happens. Um, Obviously, the the, um, Microsoft Teams stuff is really good, but they've also released new um, information governance which is basically told clinicians and doctors and nurses and other professionals that they can use WhatsApp and other um, like messaging services or Skype services so that they can stay in contact with patients um, and also each other, um, you know, during this crisis. Um, they have obviously said that sharing patient data um, through the correct channels is preferable, but when there is no other option, you know, using an app like WhatsApp um, will be necessary. And the Information Commissioner's Office has said that, um, you know, they're not going to be punishing anybody for doing that because at the moment communication is more important than, you know, not more important than protecting patient data, obviously, but it is really important. And, you know, if you're going to be spending hours longer going through the correct channels rather than just sending a text, um, you know, it's it's more important to be doing that. So that's been quite a good development. Um, Mm. But... I was when I was re- when I was researching this and writing the story. I was thinking that obviously a couple of years ago during WannaCry, WhatsApp was vital for people to stay in contact. Um, and it, you know, afterwards Jeremy Hunt, who was then health secretary, called for a WhatsApp-style app to be used within the NHS. And I've just sort of realised that we're almost three years on from that now, and I doesn't feel like we're any more prepared to communicate in a situation like this. Um, if we're still saying it's okay to use WhatsApp because there is no other option. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if we, I, you know, it's enough being done to make sure that we are ready for a situation like this. Yeah, I think it's good to see Microsoft Teams being used to support remote working and it sets a standard for other businesses to follow suit and, you know, help keep people safe, making sure they're staying home and following advice and ensuring that the NHS can, can keep doing what it's doing and, and save people's lives. And I think this, what I've been really outstanding by is when you look onto Twitter and you see what kind of people are doing. So I think I saw um, Joe McDonald, who's part of our networks, obviously a former chair, um, working to ensure that they can add a video platform to, you know, some services into the Great North Care record. So it's really good to see the sort of little pockets of kind of innovation that are being done. Um, you know, just by people not being told from kind of higher above or, you know, um, you know, management, but they're doing things on their own and to help other people and to share their knowledge 
and to just offer support and guidance to each other, which I think is, like you said with Andrew, with WannaCry, you know, help people in these times of crisis. And, you know, instead of, you know, just working on your own thing and doing what you're doing, actually reaching out and helping others as well. Yeah, that's been quite nice to see, actually. uh, (laughs) It sounds really cheesy, but there's something really special about the NHS in a situation like this because everyone just is on the same page. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You don't kind of see uh, the other organisations, people kind of clapping outside, you know, for for any other sort of service. I think there is a real sort of pride and passion for the NHS. And, you know, people are still going to work and they're they're putting themselves at risk, you Mm. know, and they're putting their families potentially at risk. You know, some... Some workers are going into hotels which are being offered and, and staying away from their families. And that just shows the level of um, passion and commitment that these people have to helping others, which I think is, you know, is absolutely vital. I think it's also nice to see on the supplier side, again, we talked about this last week, but you see these these health tech suppliers and digital health service providers all kind of running around this this global cause and making making tools that they'd usually charge uh, a fee for just free just because that everybody's aware of the the seriousness of the situation and how vital it is to get as many tools into the hands of clinicians but also more recently patients just so they have that those digital kind of um, pathways for accessing services and accessing support particularly as people are all self-isolating as well there's a need to make sure people who are at home who may need kind of more care on an ongoing basis are, are remain connected. So on, on the kind of digital solution side, a lot of what we've heard so far have been suppliers providing tools for the kind of clinician facing tools, which is obviously very important. However, this week we got a new announcement from NHSX who has put up um, half a million in funding for digital solutions specifically aimed at patients. So this is people who are self-isolating because of coronavirus. And it's particularly targeted towards um, people who are going to be impacted most by self-isolation. So that includes people with mental health issues or people who need um, social care support. And this program has been named Tech Force 19, which to be honest, I'm not really that keen on. Um, and it is essentially opening up a um, kind of challenge for people who can put together, quickly put together, that is, things like remote social care support, um, tools for recruiting and training volunteers, um, digital services for self-managing mental health and well-being. And I think it's nice because it's almost like the atten- more of the attention has now been turned to uh, patients who are, or just people in general, who have found themselves in this really unprecedented situation of being stuck at home for, you know, however long it's going to be and need support. And I think that's one of the the key things of people need to be aware of with people who are staying at home and not being able to interact socially as much as they would is making sure that they are, you know, their mental health is kept kept in shape and they practice good good mental well-being. Mm. I think I agree with you with Tech Force 19. They could have come up with something better. It's um I put Tech Sounds Force like a 19 bit of a, a Matt Hancock special, doesn't it? <laughs> It does. It's definitely a Matt Hancock slogan. I put that on the same page as Axe the Facts and Purge the Pager. Uh, So on the topic of putting tools in patients' hands or in people's hands, um, it's been revealed that NHSX is currently working on a contact tracking app for the virus, um, which will operate on an opt-in basis and will allow patients to share their information on uh, any new symptoms they develop. 
Um, and then obviously that will be taken on board by the app and it will also be used to alert other people in the area when new symptoms are being felt. Um, we don't actually have a lot more information other than that mm. from NHSX. They've been very um, quiet about it. But we also do know that a team at Oxford University are exploring the feasibility of a similar app and they've been providing the government with evidence to support the app's development. Um, they have basically said that traditional methods of tracking the virus are now far too slow and that is why an app is needed. Um, so what do you guys think? Do you think an app is going to be useful in a situation like this? I think it will be a good way um, of contact tracing, which has been hailed as one of a, a key tool in sort of containing infection rates. And it's good to share information um, so we kind of know where these high areas of infection are. Mm. Um, you know, it's good, as I mentioned before, it's good to kind of map out the situation because um, as we kind of know, there is limited testing going on. So I think when you see these numbers every day of all these cases, I sort of question whether, you know, a lot of people have said the number's probably a lot higher because we don't know who's been sort of tested positive um, because there's a lack of tests. So I think it could be a good idea to kind of map out what the current situation in the UK is like. Um, however, for me, there's probably a number of data issues um, mm. within this. Uh, as with anything, everything always usually comes back to data and how it's mm. used. So I think, as we've sort of said time and time again, these things are great, but it has to be carried out in the correct way. Otherwise, it's going they're going to run into a whole lot of problems and potentially a public backlash. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think... I think it, it's it's a no-brainer that this app needs to be developed. It needs to be pushed out, and a smart smartphones are the best way of making sure that as high a volume of the population as possible has this app. But um, there are those data concerns. We've seen that there's been an open letter signed by quite a quite a formidable list of tech experts, which, are, to be fair, I have only glanced at. Um, but it essentially kind of hammer, hammers home the fact that this app can't be rushed out, and it needs to adhere to really strict privacy standards so that means you know making sure uh development development of the app is done in the open uh making sure it respects data collection rules making sure that patients and the public have a say in governance measures and in a nutshell what it's doing is calling on nhsx and the department of health to not cut any ethical corners in terms of privacy which i suppose does need to be said because when is this this when is this sort of desperate need to get something out as quickly as possible for a very kind of rapidly deteriorating situation you you do still have to balance that with the rules of the law and with the public in mind otherwise you're going to completely undermine the trust of the nhs and we already know that that has you know that's been a, a, a problem in the past i'm not going to go down the care.data rabbit hole at this point because i don't think it's necessary but i do think this is something that the nhs does have to get absolutely right the first time yeah, I think they're very clear in the letter in saying that, you know, we need the innovation like this. It's vital um, when we've got so many people falling ill and it's really hard to track an illness. But that doesn't mean that innovation can be rushed out without the normal um, checks and balances, because mm, otherwise definitely. we're setting a precedent for everything else to be rushed out. And then we don't have good practice anymore. And that's, um, you know, that ultimately doesn't doesn't look after people the way we want it to. Um Something I found really interesting in that letter was the fact that they are calling on the government and NHSX to work in the open about this app. Um, and I, th uh, I don't want to be too unfair on them, but I do feel like they're not being open about the app. Um, so I wrote the original story on the fact that they're developing this app and getting hold of information was not at all easy. So I know that it was mentioned in an NHS digital board meeting 
um, last week. Um, I contacted NHS Digital and asked them if I could get some information on the app and also if it would be possible for me to look at a recording of the video, um, of the meeting, sorry, because I know that they record them all on video. Um, I was told that I couldn't have that and that I would need to go to NHSX because NHSX were leading on it. Um, I emailed NHSX um, and they didn't provide me any of the information either. Um, it was literally just through digging and finding um, the press release from Oxford um, basically saying that they had been advising the government and the app sounded, sounded extremely similar. Um, that's all I got other than a one sentence comment from mm. uh, Matthew Gould, the chief executive of NHSX. So I'm not entirely sure they are mm. working in the open on it. I don't know why they're secret about it. It doesn't seem like something they should be secretive about because it does seem like a good idea. Um, but it does yeah. almost seem like they're trying to not tell us something, which is a bit, seems sinister think, yeah. in the current climate. Yeah. It does. I think. I think. I think. On the other hand, as well, though, they're probably it's probably still very early days, and they're still scrabbling mm. to mobilise. And they do. I think they probably are aware, especially as I think NHS X has kind of picked up the mantle of trying to make sure that the tech that the NHS does is trustworthy and is open. So I think maybe there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes now to balance that speed of development with making sure everything is sealed off from a privacy and security basis it would be nice if we could hear a bit more of it uh, about what's going on especially as you said Andrea about you know keeping things open but I think it's really just a case of you know the NHS is really trying to kind of, it's all hands on deck really and especially on the tech side I think they, they they've got so much they need to do in a short amount of time um, that yeah they're probably very overwhelmed I don't think I don't I don't want to suggest that they're hiding something because I don't think that's fair. No, and I understand course. that they no, are they are working extremely hard. Um, and, you know, there's a lot going on in the space at the moment. I imagine that a lot of them are barely sleeping. Um, but, yeah, I just think, you know, just a little bit of um, openness and transparency in terms of what they're working on, just so that the public is aware, because I think sometimes when you have a, a story that you've only got one sentence of information to build on it. It would do them a bit more of a favour, I think, if they just said, we are working on this and we are being extra careful with privacy exactly. um, and, and I, protecting I think, patient data. And I think that would also put the public at ease as well. If they if they knew that something was being done to make sure that people can stay safe, um, yeah. it would just kind of really help the, with the anxiety. Because that's another thing that's I think had a big impact on public health is just the sheer amount of anxiety and uncertainty that's going on at the moment. I think there's also, um, aside from kind of data issues and the ability to kind of trace and, and track and, and give a picture, there's also the elements of uh, population health. Um, you know, it said in the story that they will um, alert relevant authorities because, you know, aside from the NHS, you also have local councils um, that may need to kind of, you know, move their budgets around or anything like that or just prepare mm. because it is there is a public health thing as well. So it's ensuring that, you know, whether people are safe in the community and ensuring that people are following guidance and staying in if there is a high infection rate. So I think that could be useful. This app has the potential to help us manage that the population a bit more and, and give, you know, boroughs and councils the data to say, you know, look, your your borough is, you know, got a high infection rate at the moment or the number of cases are increasing so they can plan accordingly because mm. I think a big thing at the moment you know, following, you know, what's going on in Italy, Spain and, and what's happened in China is this idea of, um, you know, controlling the population and, you know, planning ahead has been a big thing and, and, and seeing what's happening elsewhere and learning from that. So I think being able to alert people to 
where there are high infection rates could be could help I think. On your point of population health Hannah I think this goes back to how this whole this whole situation could eventually prove um, a means of accelerating digital health services so you know who's to say that an app developed for coronavirus couldn't in future um, sorry coronavirus tracking couldn't in future be used for other population health uh, purposes. Yeah I think with an app like this as well um, I think there'll be a lot of people that want to use it I think there is concern around patient data obviously but I think it will be surprising just how many people want to use it just to you know just to say I have symptoms this is where it you know, this is where we're flagging it. Because I think at the end of the day, nobody wants this to spread any further and nobody wants it to get any worse. Everyone wants to do what they can to, you know, mitigate circumstances. And I think they won't, I don't think there'll be as much concern around using an app as maybe some people think there will be. So on the app, one thing I wasn't quite clear on is whether multiple versions of this are in development. So I think at the time that we're recording this, we've, we've received something from Kings who have said that they're working on an app but I presume that's is that separate to NHSX I mean I presume it is but are are we going to be in a situation where we've got multiple apps trying to do the same thing and is that is that going to confuse things so with the kings what kings are doing so they are recruiting I think they want about 5,000 twins pairs of twins should I say in their families to take part in the study which um from the look of the press release it sort of does do the same things it's sort of looking at how how fast the virus is spreading in a certain area um, high-risk areas of the country and who is more at risk and, and, and better understanding of the symptoms. But um, I would see that as maybe potentially more of a research study, something that can be maybe um, analysed right. for future references. I don't think this is as potentially, you know, it's not. It's nothing to do with what NHSX is doing. I think it's more, um, I, I think it's more aimed at us understanding this virus and how it affects people how it spreads um and basically what it does to people i think yeah because i guess what you don't want to find yourself in is a situation where we've got 10 or you know a dozen or so apps all aimed around coronavirus tracking and just kind of diluting the whole thing and confusing people as to what what each one does you know we need like i think we need like a single solution yeah, there definitely needs to be some consistency around it. Otherwise, it, you're not. Yeah, getting all of the information from multiple different sources isn't going to bring it together in the one spot like we're hoping to. No, exactly. So, Hannah and Owen, thank you so much for joining us on our coronavirus special podcast. And to all of our listeners, um, please remember to stay safe and look after yourselves because it's going to be a very odd few months ahead, I think. Um, don't forget digital health unplugged is published fortnightly on spotify apple podcasts and itunes and you can also find it on our website and while we are all social isolating you might as well check out digital health news to keep you occupied during that time thanks so much for joining us cheers thanks everyone